Sunday is Manna Sunday, and we've been highlighting this great ministry of Manna all day long, all morning long. And uh, just in a few minutes, Brother Jerry Abbott is going to come up and present more details on his particular uh, part of that ministry. Manna is worldwide, as the name implies, and uh, it's making an impact for Christ all over the world in very tangible ways. And Brother Jerry and First Baptist Church have a long history together. We go back about 24 years. He was one of the first missionaries that uh, we partnered with through the Faith Promise, Faith Promise program that many years ago. Originally, he was in Hungary with his family, a long-term missionary there. Uh, came back briefly to the States, and uh, God changed that calling slightly and, and re-energized he and his family to do the work for Manna. And he's been with Manna for over 10 years, I believe, right at 10 years. So uh, hopefully it will be another 10 or 15 plus, plus, plus more years, right? Uh, from your standpoint, from my standpoint, I, I hope the Lord doesn't tarry and comes back a lot sooner than that. Uh, but in just one moment, uh, Brother Jerry will come up. Uh, we're going to show a quick video at the start and uh, pay attention and see how God might be leading you to support MANA. Jerry's going to give us more details on how you might be able to participate in that as the Lord leads. So watch this video and then welcome Brother Jerry to the stage. Nothing. Actually, they don't do nothing. Like... Starting with that, we don't have actually a real government. We are just stealing. So, what can they do? Nothing. Good evening, church. It is good to be uh, with you tonight, and I thank you for coming back this evening. Um, that little video is, is brand new for us, and uh, I, the fellow that put that together is a very young, young man who went with us uh, this summer. He was an intern with MANA. He's a videographer. He's very accomplished, even for a young guy. He's about 22 or 3, and uh, he, he did that for us, and he's uh, working on a few others. 
Um, the kid that put his hand over the camera, uh, I know that kid pretty well. I mean, that's just exactly the kind of thing he would do. <laughs> but he's, he's a good boy. Um, I hope you got a Baptist hour this afternoon. Anybody get a Baptist hour this afternoon? Okay, amen. You know what I'm talking about? Where you, like, you're kind of studying the inside of your eyelids for a little while. Anybody do that? Okay. Well, I hope maybe you did. If not... Um, I'll not, I'll not be long tonight, but I, I wanted to share with you some things about specifically some of the ministries that I'm involved with. Before I jump into that, though, let me uh, just take a step back. And I want to remind you that on the display table in the back, I have two different brochures. Feel free to take one of these. This is just a general information about manna worldwide, kind of what we do, our philosophy. This is more, this is about human trafficking. We're involved in the prevention and raising awareness about trafficking. And so if you'd like to take one of those, be sure and stop by and grab one. I have some photographs of a few of the ministries I'm involved with uh, as well. And so we'd encourage you to stop by if you have time and take a look at those. Let me um, say a few words about manna. I know there some, of, some of the teachers weren't here this morning in, uh, in, the, in this service. And so let me just back up a little bit about manna worldwide. Manna is 12 years old as an organization. We operate... Uh, uh, about 138 ministries in approximately 40 countries. And uh, I am my primary uh, area of service is Eastern Europe. And uh, as Brother pointed out a minute ago, uh, your church has been supporting us as your missionaries for 24 years. And I well remember Ruth Mary and I just turned 20 when we came here that first time. And so um, you can figure out how old we are. Or, or thereabouts, you know, I mean, pretty close to that. Maybe a little bit more, I don't know. But anyway, uh, we uh, do appreciate and are very thankful for your faithful support and uh, prayers for us, especially through some difficult times with my wife's health. And uh, she still has some continuing issues, so several of you have asked me about her, so we appreciate your prayers for her as well. So MANA, as a compassion organization, as I said this morning, and maybe you can help me with this, we find a hurt and we heal it, we find a need, and we fill it in the name of Jesus. And we believe this is the type of ministry that Jesus himself was involved in while he was on this earth. Sure, he came as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, but when he, when he interacted with people on a day-to-day basis, he met them where they were, at the level they were, and he ministered to their immediate physical needs sometimes. He fed thousands of people, he healed the sick, uh, he... he uh, caused the lame to walk, gave sight to the blind, and so many other things. And so it's important, we think, to love people as they are. And I know that's easy to say, but it's not always easy to do. It's easy to love people that you know that kind of are in the same, you know, in the same status as you are and people that you're familiar with. But when you get to talking about the kind of people that a lot of us wouldn't want to be around, a down and outer someone who doesn't smell very good, someone who has some bad habits or addictions, someone who's had a rough life and maybe is pretty rough around the edges. It's not easy to love those people. But God loves them, and we're supposed to try. And so um, we want to love people where they're at, and we want to try to, to meet their immediate physical needs so that we can really address their spiritual need. And so that's what manna does, and we do that through the form of feeding centers, uh, through um, Bridge to Life homes, through orphanages and refugee centers and some other things along this line. Somebody asked me this morning during the break, 
uh, if we had any ministries here in the U.S. And I often get asked that question, and so you might be interested in the answer to that. If you're not, then don't listen to this. But we do have some ministries in the U.S. We partner with a children's home in Florida, and we partner with a homeless shelter in California. In addition to that, we have what we call a Power Packs program in about five areas is all. We don't have a lot of this. But children who are on the reduced lunch program with the government program for free or reduced lunches, MANA provides food for the weekend from Friday supper through Monday breakfast so that those kids will have food for the weekend. And so most the bulk of our ministries are outside the United States. And that's uh, where really the greatest needs are. We actually have in this country a pretty good social safety net. Now, I understand that there are still some children who do not get fed on a regular basis, and that's the parent's fault or the guardian, whoever's taking care of those kids, because there is help available in this country for people who need it. And, uh, but yet some, some of those kids still are suffering because of that. So this morning I explained to you that um, as far as funding for man and for feeding centers, that... Uh, our funding comes from people just like you, churches just like this, all across the United States, the bulk of it. And I explained also that we can feed on average a child for $28 a month. Now, I have seven kids, and I wish I could have fed my kids for a dollar a day, but it just didn't happen, especially when they hit the teenage years, those boys. But in other countries, you know, it, a little bit goes a long way as far as money. And... Um, so we are able not only to feed, but in many cases, educate a child for that amount of money on a daily basis. And so we're asking you today on Man of Sunday, we're asking you to help us, to partner with us, or to pray about it, helping um, feed more kids, reach more kids and their parents with the gospel by giving to manna. And the way I framed that this morning is the way I'll, I'll explain it to you right now in case you weren't here, if you don't remember. If you have a, you should have a card like this, or you may have gotten one this morning, or maybe you didn't get one this morning, but if you need a card, we can get you a card. Who, does anybody need a card? Anybody does not have a card? Would you tell me if you didn't have a card? <laughs> anybody need a card? Seriously, we can get you one. Okay, if you have that card, we'll just pull it out right quick. I'm going to explain this now, and then going to jump on into everything and we'll, we'll just move right along. $28 a month, here's what we would like you to do. Um, as you're praying about should I give to man or not, we ask you to do three things. Number one, we ask you to be a tithing contributor to this local ministry right here before you'd give any money to man. Number two, we ask if you're tithing that you're involved in your church's faith promise giving missions program. That you're giving to missions, that you're supporting your local ministry as well as sending missionaries out. And then in addition to that, if you would like to help manna, we'd ask you to give in addition to those things. And I understand that not everybody can do that, and there's no pressure. But if you can do that or would like to do that, feel led to do that, then the third thing we'd ask is that you will give that right here through your church. Use your church's offering envelope. This is one of you guys' envelopes. Right there on the bottom line, it says other. You have uh, tithe, building fund, faith promise, designated missions, and you have other. And you could write manna on that line. Put that in, put your check in there, turn that in, and the treasurer will know exactly what to do with that. Once a month, those funds that you give to MANA will be sent to the MANA office in Texas, and from there will be distributed out to a ministry. And your pastor and I are talking about uh, a specific ministry. We're trying to find something that would be a good fit for your church, that, you, that all of your funding would be earmarked to go directly to that one center so that we can help you build a relationship with those kids and those uh, missionaries or national pastors uh, and you can, that will become basically your center. 
and you can embrace that and at whatever level you'd like to. So at the end of the service tonight, we're going to ask if you fill this card out for us. Uh, we're going to have the usher. You can drop this in the offering plate when the ushers come by at the end of the service, okay? So if you want to, if I see you're writing something, I'm going to assume you're not writing notes to your neighbor, that you're filling out your card, and you're going to sponsor 10 or 15 children, amen? So we'll be uh, noting who's actually writing and who's not. So, now, maybe I shouldn't say that. That might work against me. I don't know. But it's, um, I want to say this. If you weren't here this morning, um, and this is important, I think, manna's overhead is, is not very much. We have an outside annual audit every year in about July, June and July, and we have averaged since over the 12 years of the money actually going to, to feed kids is 96%. Uh, 96%, 95%, 96% goes directly to feeding kill. I don't get a salary for manna. Chuck Ward, some of you know Chuck, doesn't get a salary. None of the guys who do what we do get salaries. We raise our own support, and we do this because this is our ministry. This is not a job. It's a ministry. And so because of that, we're able to get actually more of your dollar to the child. So if you give a dollar, 95 cents is going directly to feed children. And so uh, we want to keep it that way. In fact, we're trying to even get that down so that we don't have any overhead. We're trying to find some alternative ways. You know, we do have some administrative costs. Uh, We have an office and all those kind of things. But um, we want to do that for you. So if you can do that at the end of the service, we'd appreciate it. And uh, if you want to give, by the way, if you you can't give $28 and you'd like to give $10 or $5 or $20, every dollar will feed a child for a day. So anything you can can do would be great. Um, I want to show you some pictures, uh, and I'm going to try to go through this fairly quickly um, because I do have a message I would like to at least get, get started, you know. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you tonight about gypsies. Now, I mentioned that this morning as kind of a teaser, but when I say the word gypsy, what's, what pops in your mind? What descriptive term pops in your mind? Anybody, just say it out loud. What's something that pops in your mind when you hear the word gypsy? Traveling, okay, wandering around, yes. Sorry? Fortune tellers, yes. Something else? Carnies, uh-huh. yeah, carnies, working carnivals. Okay, something else? Anybody, I hear something over here? Anything else pop in your mind? Does anything good pop in your mind when you hear the word gypsy? Probably not. The word gypsy has pretty much a negative connotation. Uh, Gypsies actually are a race of people migrated from India about 300 years ago and settled all over Europe, in fact, all over the world, but primarily all over Europe. There are gypsies in the United States, different pockets. I know in Cleveland, Ohio, there's quite a few in in several other places. Um, Gypsies or Roma is is really what they're technically called as Roma. There are a lot of different uh, tribes they're very tribal. There are different languages, dialects, uh, but they also speak, generally speak, the language of whatever country they live in. They are the largest ethnic minority, estimated over 15 million in Europe. That's more people than some countries have uh, in Europe. Um, Romania's got the largest concentration, about one and a half million. So a few years ago, we were able to partner with an American missionary who is actually a gypsy, his third generation, been in the United States, gypsy, and his wife is, speaks gypsy language, and he was a carny, and his wife was a fortune teller before they got saved. 
Uh, and if you go to Cleveland now and you go downtown on the square, you'll see about four or five fortune-telling places all ran by gypsies. It's a scam, okay? It's a way they make money, but, and a lot of people fall for it. They're good at it. But we partnered with this man after he was not a con artist anymore and after his wife quit fortune-telling. And we began to work with gypsies in uh, the central part of Romania. This is in Tinka, Romania. This feeding center feeds about 70-some-odd um, children. And uh, the, the, it's getting worse and worse for them there because prices keep going up. Um, the government used to give gypsies a little bit of money every month, and they've cut that way, way down, and so it's making it more difficult. We had a group at this particular feeding center shortly after it opened, and we were in watching the kids. And if you go on a manna trip, uh, and I know some of you have, generally you get, if you want to, when the kids get ready to eat, if you want to help serve the kids, take the food from the counter, from the kitchen, and set it on the tables for the kids, you can do that. And so we, our group had been doing that, and we're standing there watching the kids eat. And, and you know, at, at, the, at the beginning, when these kids first started eating, um, they were pretty unruly. I mean, most gypsy families don't, don't um, discipline their kids. And so the kids are pretty wild. And you'd try to, you know, make them be quiet or sit still, and they just they couldn't do it. So... Um, now, though, when you go in, the kids sit there, they wait patiently, um, as patiently as a kid can wait, and then when they, they pray, and usually they'll sometimes they have one child pray, or sometimes a group will pray, they pray, thank God for the food, and then when they say amen, you better not stick your hand in there because you might lose a finger, because they're diving in. I mean, they're hungry. They're very hungry, and they don't, they don't fool around. They put it down. And we're watching all this, and someone turns to the brother Geetza, the pastor, I said, Brother Gietzo, what else will these kids eat today? And he said, where else would they get anything to eat today? He said, this is what they're going to eat today right here at this feeding center. Now, yeah, they may get some bread or some kind of filler, but as far as real food, they're not, they're not going to get much. So it's been a very valuable thing. The first, uh, they started this in midsummer. The next um, April, whenever Easter was that year, they, had, they baptized 19 adults Nine of them were parents of the kids who had begun attending the feeding center. So it's not just about kids, it's about reaching families. And that's what we're, that's what we're really interested in doing. I want to go to the next picture. I need to hurry because I have a tendency to talk too long here. Um, that's because I love gypsies. I don't know what it is about them. I just, I just love being around them. A Bridge to Life Home, I talked a little bit about this morning, but let me just refresh your memory. Uh, it's a family, basically it's a family unit. Mom and a dad who are house parents, they may have one or, or several of their own biological children, but they take in as their own other children who come from either um, troubled backgrounds or from orphanages or sometimes from the street and love them and try to raise them. And three things we try to provide for them is a family that's a biblically-based family because if, if a person grows up without really understanding the dynamic in a family, they're going to have problems with every relationship they'll ever try to have in the rest of their life. So family is important. We want them to understand faith in God, and then we want to prepare them for a future by some kind of skill or job training so that they can provide for themselves. And so a couple of years, maybe three years ago, the next picture, we were in, um, in Tinka, and we were at the feeding center, and there's some kids live right next door. And um, there were three girls and a, and a brother living with their mom and dad. The dad was an alcoholic, very abusive. The mom decided she'd had enough, and she left. 
and left all four kids with him. Well, he wouldn't let them come in the house. But they came to the feeding center from day one, which was right next door to where they lived. And so after a few years, the, the other two kids, two of the kids rather, had mo- went to live with their mom. And the oldest and the youngest daughter were still there. The oldest at the time um, was 16 and the youngest was, I believe, 12. And Yana is the youngest one. And from the first time I saw Yana, she was just uh, this big. And I don't know, it was just something about that little girl that just, man, grabbed hold of my heart. And I just, uh, every time I would ask about her, make sure she was doing okay and just kind of make, want to make sure she's doing all right. Well, she was there, and the pastor told us that the oldest, that the father was using the oldest daughter as a surrogate wife. And we were just aghast. We thought, that's, that's, that's just unacceptable. That's just, we can't allow. I mean, what can we do? And so we began talking about a bridge to life home for girls who were in abusive situations. And we talked about this for a little while. We talked to these two girls and asked them a few questions and, you know, trying not to be too invasive, but just trying to find out, you know, how they were doing, basically. And we, we got to talk about a bridge to life home. A few hours later, now this is a true story. This is not just a preacher story or a missionary story. This is really true, amen? A few hours later, like two hours or three hours later, we found a house that was three blocks from the church that was for sale. We went and looked at it, and it was a um, three-bedroom uh, uh, bath, and uh, it's a really nice home. It had been totally renovated, inside, out, top, and bottom, new everything. New appliances, new furniture, new everything. Sitting on two acres of land, and they wanted $55,000 for this house, which that's not a lot of money for a house, even a run-down house, but this is a nice house. The next morning, uh, the pastor's son comes to me, and he says, Jerry said, my wife and I couldn't sleep last night. We were thinking about this idea of this girl's home, and we feel like God wants us to somehow be involved. We don't really understand what or how, but I just want you to know that we're available. And I said, Geetsy Shore, are you and Nellie willing to become house parents? Would you guys be willing to have these girls move in with you and you become their mom and dad? He said, if that's what the Lord wants. So I'm like, wow, not even 24 hours. We had three pastors, three businessmen with us, and for the next couple of three days before the end of the trip, we talked about this and kicked it around. And as they left, several of the men said, well, you're going to hear from me on that, on that uh, home. So I went back, and, you know, we're thinking about it. I was contacting, trying to get some information. We're talking about minors, so there's a lot of legal red tape and all those kind of things. I went uh, immediately after I got home, I went to a church in New Mexico, did a man of Sunday. I mentioned in passing didn't even say a lot, but I said, hey, we're thinking about opening this home for these girls. They're having this problems." And this guy made a beeline out to the table after the service. He said, Jerry, how much is that house? So I told him, he said, listen, I can give you $1,000 right now. In about three or four weeks, I can give you another $1,000. I said, well, hey, thank you, but we're still looking into this. I mean, we don't know for sure if we can legally do this. He said, well, just let me know. I said, okay. Well, long story short, as short as I can make it, one of the pastors went back, evidently said something to his church. A couple came to him a couple of days later and handed him a check for $25,000, said this is for that girl's home. And this started happening all over, and we hadn't really told anybody. So in, in just a, a month or so, we had over $40,000 earmarked for this home. And, and I, I mean, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I can see when God's going to do something. And I don't know about you, but when I see God doing something over there, I want to be over there. And if God's doing something here, I want to be here. I want to be where God is working. And so I, I knew this was going to happen. So 
I, there's a lot more details, but I mean, it's obvious the hand of God is on it. We, that was in September, and uh, I think it was February, we bought the house. We not only got it for the price, we actually got it for less than the price, plus all the furniture and a year's worth of firewood. So we got a really good deal on that. And then they found um, four girls, and I want to introduce you to these girls. Um, and by the way, the, the girls that we were initially concerned about left before about the time we bought this house and went to live with their mother and so they weren't they uh, have never gone into the home they were the catalyst that God used but evidently they had another God had another plan for them this is Camelia Camelia lives in this little it's a one-room house it's very typical of a gypsy home dirt floor no electricity no running water and 10 people live in this this little house her dad had died her mom had remarried and the stepfather was abusing this child, 12 years old. Next picture, this is Esmeralda. Esmeralda lived, there's six people live in this little house. That's her house right there. It's a handmade mud brick house. It's very typical. Um, her um, dad had passed away, and uh, her mom was uh, taking care of her, and she let um, her uh, left, had to leave to go somewhere to work and left uh, Esmeralda with her parents and this little girl's grandfather uh, took advantage of her. The next picture is um, Emmanuel. Emmanuel was 16. She was the youngest of the children in her family. She was living with her one of her sisters and, and her family and the, the, her brother-in-law uh, abused this child. And then the, the last little girl, this is uh, Narcissa. And Narcissa, as far as I know, is the only one that had nothing had happened to yet, but her, her dad had died, and she and her siblings were living with her mom, and her mom is a prostitute. There's no good way to say that, but that's just what she was. Men were coming and going, and so Pastor Gietze went and talked to the mother and said, listen, why don't you let her come into, Narcissa come into our home so we can take care of her, because you know it's just a matter of time before something's going to go wrong, and Finally, the mother agreed to do that. So the parents of all these kids signed the paperwork for them for us to have legal guardianship. The next picture, the first week, three of those girls, the three youngest girls, gave their lives to Jesus. Um, the oldest one, um, Emanuela, evidently had been through a lot, and she was very closed and you know, very guarded and very uncomfortable. And so it took um, several months, almost a year, but in March of this year, I got an email that said um, Emanuela had given her heart to Christ. And these are three of the younger girls. They were baptized this last April on Easter Sunday. And, um, and they're doing really well. In fact, when I was there last year three times, the girls were just, some of them were doing better than others, but it was tough. You know, it was a big adjustment for all of them. And when I was there this year and just a couple months ago, uh, they're doing so well. And I asked the pastor and the the house that I said, how are the girls doing? I said, oh, Jerry. He said, these girls are doing so good. He said, when they walk to school, when they walk down the street, he said, they're so different than the other girls. He said, people just, just look. And because they have new life in Christ, they've just been totally changed. So we're just, we're just excited that God had such a wonderful plan for these kids. Next picture. Oh, this is this last month, we took all of them out to a really nice area, kind of resort area, where they could have some fun. And they all they got real dressed up. We had a professional photographer on the trip, and she offered to take photos. So, man, they got all gussied up and made some really nice photos. But that's the whole family. Uh, Nellie, uh, 
D.C. Shore, they have three kids of their own, the two boys and the girl standing next to um, the lady in the hat, and then the three, the four girls that are there. And they're doing uh, really, really well. Go to the next picture. This is Pastor Gietze and his wife, Monica, sweetest people in the world, hardest working. They have three churches going, and they're just doing a phenomenal job. And I, I just love them to death. Uh, Brother Gietze is about this tall. <laughs> And he plays the accordion. In fact, he was a professional musician and used to play at um, uh, wedding parties. Now, a wedding party in Romania is kind of like a three-day um, drunk. I don't know a better way to say it, but it's, you know, it's not really the kind of place you'd want to go to. Well, some of you might want to. I don't know. But not, most people uh, probably wouldn't. So, but he made a lot of money doing that, but he'd be gone. Anyway, you ought to hear his testimony tonight. It's fabulous how God saved him and changed his life. But he uses that accordion now in the church, and he's kind of like, I call him the Pied Piper of the accordion because the kids love him to death. He starts playing that accordion, man, the kids just come running and just get all and flock around him. He's such a sweet guy. And his wife is actually the cook in one of the feeding centers and takes no pay, even though we've offered to pay her. Because she loves those kids so much. And they're just they're really sweet people. Next picture. This is at another town. Uh, Geetz is the pastor here. He actually has three churches going now. This is Tashad. This is the second church. The first time I went there, they didn't have a building. They were, they were outside in the street. They, had about, they just set up their uh, sound system and their keyboard. And, and, buddy, they like it loud, so they crank it up. And they start playing music, and people just start coming. So they have 150, 175 people. At the end of the service, uh, you can see these people came and knelt in the dirt and just prayed. I never saw anything like that in my life. They're so humble, and they just want to get right with God. You know, of all the people groups in Europe, and I've been in Europe for almost 25 years, Europe's tough. And I know you've got your brothers going to London and England, and England is tough. You know, it's a hard place for people to, to, to accept the gospel. And it's that way all over Europe. The only two bright spots as far as a God movement, what I'd call a God movement, are among gypsies and Muslim refugees or refugees that are coming into Europe. And those people are turning to Christ by the hundreds. Anyway, let's go to the next photo. I wanted to show you, uh, this, this lady in the middle is Felicia. She's the cook at this town. Really sweet lady, very quiet, uh, and just really sweet woman. That's her daughter over on the right, Adela. Adela recently got married and moved away, and... I, um, she's, she's a good girl. She used to help her mom quite a bit. Next picture. I want you to see this one. Uh, the guy on the right, the big guy, his name is Cece. Cece is the cook's husband. And when, when they first started the church, she was one of the first ones to get saved. And so they would, that picture of the people out in the street was in front of their house. And she would sit on the steps. The street's down kind of low, and the houses are up here, and there's steps going down. She'd sit on the steps of her house, and she would, you know, listen. Her husband, Cece, the big guy, and he's, and he's shared this in his own testimony, so if he was here, he would tell you the same thing. He used to stand behind her during the service and kick her in the back and say, is this what you want? Is this what you want? You think this is what you want? I mean, the guy was just lost. But she kept praying. She kept being faithful. And she'd sit there and just tears would run down her cheeks when this would happen. Cece got saved. 
Adela got saved. And now Cece is one of the leaders in the church. When I was there last month, he was the guy that was, the, they have like a devotion, kind of a prayer time, and they have a devotion. He was leading the devotion. And every time I go there, he's there. Sometimes he knows I'm coming. He'll take off work for half a day so he can come and, and see me. He's just, God just changed this man's life. The guy on the left, I, I can't remember his name, but I was there three or four years ago, and we were doing an outdoor evangelism thing. And this guy, Brother Giza, came to me and said, you see that guy sitting over there? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, and he had his little daughter with him, said, I've been witnessing to this guy, and I think he's going to get saved today. I said, praise God. So we began to pray for him. And uh, we were outside. Now, if you've ever done outdoor evangelism, it's very exciting, but it's so unpredictable. You, you don't know what's going to happen. Where we were was on this side. There's like a road right here. We were at a pier, and then there's a, a road, some grass, and back up maybe 40 yards, 30, 40 yards is where everybody was sitting, kind of in the shade. So you're not real close to your, your audience. And not only that, but it's noisy outside. Kids are playing. Guys are building a building. A cement mixer's running. Every now and then, you know, a, a horse-drawn car or a guy on a motorcycle will run between, you know, go down the road between you and the people you're trying to, to speak to. It kind of made me have an appreciation for the way Jesus preached out in the open. I wasn't preaching that day, but I could just see. But when the invitation came... This man came, and Brother Gitsa took the microphone, and they knelt down, and he led him to Christ right there. And then something very remarkable happened. When they stood up, Brother Gitsa gave this guy the microphone, and he began to tell what he, about his life. He said, you know, I'm a bad man. And when, here's what was really interesting. All the people who had been way back there and all this, when this guy started talking, he had their attention like that. I mean, they were focused in. Some of them even came up closer. They wanted to make sure they could hear what he was saying. And he said, yeah, I'm a bad man. And everybody in town knew this guy. He was a drunkard. He beat his wife. He cheated people. He stole stuff. And he, he was evidently confessing this publicly uh, and saying, but today I gave my life to Christ. And so I thought at that moment, I thought, you know, everybody in this village knows this guy. And if he slips up one time, they're going to say, yeah, yeah, you really got saved. Yeah, God's really, you know, your God's really something. And so I thought, I've got to pray for this guy. And I don't know his name, but God knows I've held him up before his throne. And I went back. Um, every time I go back, this guy is right there. He's always there. He's one of the guys that when you come in, he's there at the door to greet you. And God's changed his life. And it's just, it's really cool. The guy in the middle, I don't know. Maybe someday he'll get right with God. I'm not sure. Let's go to the next photo. Um, when I was there last month, what time is it? Okay, we've got plenty of time. Had something else remarkable happen. This is why I like to go to the gypsies, because there's always incredible stuff going on, it seems like. We uh, went to a church Sunday morning, and uh, we actually were in three church services in one day. You think you got it tough with, all, with two services? Man, we had three, and they weren't in the same place. So anyway, we had church that morning. The afternoon, went to a new church plant, church about a year and a half old, we went out there. They got a little small building. I mean, it's not even, it's not even maybe from here, this platform, and maybe, I don't think it's that big. Anyway, something like that, real small. It's packed out. We brought a big bus up. There were, um, I don't know, 19 or 20 or something of us just packed. So I did some singing. I got up to preach, and, and the, the night before, around 1130, I already had my sermon, I, what I, I was planning to preach. About 1130, God said, no, you're not going to preach that. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> I 
But I said, okay, well, then what am I going to preach, Lord? And he said, preach on the prodigal son. Okay. So I got as prepared as I could for that before the next morning. And when I stood up to preach, somebody sat where I was sitting because it was just that crowd. I mean, it was packed. People were standing outside, out in the wind. They had the windows open, and uh, people were everywhere. So I got up and preached the prodigal son as best I knew how. And when I got through, I just walked out of the building, came around, and stood in a window uh, close to the front. Pastor Gietza started giving the invitation. This woman in the picture, and I apologize for the quality of that picture. I took it with my iPhone, so it's, it's Apple's fault. Um, but this woman came, and she knelt down, and she was praying. And then an older lady came and knelt kind of beside, a little bit behind her, and began to pray. And then Brother Gietza began to pray for her And I, after he talked to her, and I assumed he was leading her to Christ. And later we found out that's exactly what happened. But the rest of the story was this, that the older woman who had came was this woman's mother. And the mother was a Christian, and her daughter had been living a very wild life. In fact, she had moved to another country. I think she's living in France. She had gotten uh, got involved in drugs. She was a prostitute. And the mother had had a dream several weeks before, and she had told Gietza. She said, I had this dream that we went to church one Sunday, and there was a big group that came. And, and my daughter made a, a visit back, and she came to church, and she got saved. And that's exactly what happened that day. This was the lady she'd been praying for. And that was pretty amazing. We went to the next church, and uh, Brother Gietza, they did some singing and stuff. And then he got me started telling this story. And that was actually when we kind of learned everything that, that had happened because, you know, we didn't have a translator at the time. We learned what was going on. But during this story, as he was telling it, we heard a lady in the back just sobbing, crying. And I mean, really sobbing. And so we were kind of looking around. And, and so then Gietza says, you know, I've never done this before, but I just feel the Holy Spirit leading me to let you know that there's somebody here today that needs to be saved. I want you to stand up, and I want you to come up here right now. And so if you go to the next photo, this lady did that, the lady in the white scarf. She came forward. And this lady, who's you can't really see her, but that's Felicia. That's the cook who came up with her just, you know, to give her some moral support. And they led her to the Lord. Well, come to find out, this lady's story was just like the lady before. She went to another country, was involved in things she shouldn't have been involved in, came home for a visit. Somebody said, hey, let's go to church. There she was. She got saved. Isn't God good? Isn't God amazing? Sometimes, you know, I think we don't see extraordinary things happen because we don't expect extraordinary things. But... It was just such a blessing to see that day, what God done. Let's, let's go to the next picture. Um, we're just about done with this, okay? So if you're getting tired of it, uh, hang in there for a little bit longer. Uh, I put this in here for you, Brother John, because this is Brother Rika's new church building when it's finished. I don't have any pictures of the inside here to show you, but I did want you to see this one. This is in uh, another part of Romania. This is not a gypsy ministry, uh, but this is a good friend of ours that has a great uh, ministry. He has two mana feeding centers, a small orphanage, and pastors three churches, and this is one of the three churches. Just moved into this new building uh, last year. Next picture, I want to show you a few pictures of when your pastor was over in Romania last year uh, just to document that he was really uh, participating and doing everything. Here he is helping, uh, as we were talking about putting the food on the table, he was helping us there to get ready for the kids coming in. The next picture, this is him. Uh, We went to this cave that had been a Roman garrison. It was right down. We took a cruise up the Danube River, and went ran up there, and this this is where a Roman garrison had been, and uh, 
uh, Brother John was in there, um, you know, trying to lead this guy to the Lord, I think. Um, and then the next one, uh, I'm not sure if they're trying to get in or out of this place. Uh, that's uh, your pastor and Chris Shalowitz. I think Brother Chris has been here. And uh, we had a good time on that trip, and God did some really, really amazing stuff there. I think that's the last of the pictures. And I just wanted to, to kind of let you know that's a little bit of what we've been involved with with Manor Worldwide. I want to thank you again for um, your faithful support. I want to thank you for your church being uh, what it is and the way you're involved, engaged in your community. And your, I've been hearing different things that are going on, you know, the Good News Club and the Iwana programs and, and a lot of things. You had a bunch of young people over here this afternoon, some stuff. And just it's just really cool to see you guys are just totally engaged. I know Miss Debbie was telling me about some of you ladies going to one of the prisons. She told me she'd been in prison or something. I that um, said y'all are ministering to some of the women in prison. That's, that's really awesome. I, I'm so glad to hear those things. And then I know you're involved in world missions, and I appreciate that as well, and especially allowing us to be your representatives in Eastern Europe. Um, it's amazing to me that God would let us be the bearers of the good news, the greatest good news there ever was, that there is hope, that there is salvation, that there is life, that there's eternal life, there's forgiveness. You know, Paul wrote it like this. He said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels and clay pots. You know, a clay pot's about the most fragile thing you can come up with because it cracks and it breaks very easily. And that's what our bodies is likened to. But yet we get to carry the most valuable treasure to people who need to hear. So I want to commend you on your involvement in getting the gospel out here and around the world. I just want to thank you again for partnering with us. And I hope you'll pray about manna and see what God wants you to do with that. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again in the near future. So let's, let's stand together with our heads bowed. You know, we've, we don't want to leave tonight without giving the opportunity to respond. I know this has been more of a report than preaching, but God can use whatever God wants to use to speak to us. And so the thing is, He is speaking. Are you listening? Are you listening? Our Father, we bow in Your presence tonight, and we do thank You that You're such a magnificent and holy God, and we thank you that in spite of how far above us you are, you've chosen to make a way, a bridge, that we can have a relationship with you. We thank you for uh, what you do for us on a regular basis and all that you've done and will do in the future. And we ask that you would help our lives to be uh, clean vessels that you could use, help us to be available. God, help us to be um, what you want us to be. Help us to be surrendered. Thank you for this church and for the pastor, the leadership here, and God, for what you're doing. And I pray that you will use us in a way that you will receive all glory, praise, and honor in Jesus' name. We're going to have a